Merry Christmas again. Let's pray. Father, let us come and adore Your Son and adore You and adore the Holy Trinity because of and through Your Son with whom You are well pleased and with whom before the foundation of the world You are pleased to reveal Yourself in Him. Let us see. Let us see that we may adore to the glory of His name. Amen. Alright, let me, let me this morning, I'm not turning to a text yet. We're gonna have your Bibles out. But I want to tell a Christmas story. There's only one eternal God without beginning, without end, self-existent, who from eternity past had never been anything but planning to create all that is not Him. And He created the universe and He created humanity in His own image in order to reflect His glory And the first man, Adam, plunged as the representative of all humanity into sin, into darkness, into judgment, into death, and into condemnation. And thus we are all messed up. Whether young or like my mother in a hospital right now, 90, we're all dying and awaiting an eternity after judgment day. And then, the beginning of the Bible, the very first book called Genesis in chapter 3, right after the fall, the Creator of the universe gave this Christmas promise. Thousands of years before the angel visited the Virgin Mary. And he spoke to Satan, who spawned a seed called darkness, called spiritual death, and condemnation for humanity. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he, the seed, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel that's a christmas promise and then he god waited patiently and down the road as that promise remained he purposed and then demonstrated the value of his eternal holiness by the judgment of humanity in sin, by wiping out the entire human race in the flood of Noah, except for eight persons, from whom the rest of humanity would come. And then down the road, He called a pagan, a man named 
Abram. And He gave him a promise. Abraham, this land that I have just led you to, I am going to give to your descendants after you. And so He made this promise to Abraham and to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob and to Jacob's twelve sons. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And so the twelve tribes of Israel had the promise of Abraham and the promise of God in Genesis 3.15. And a hundred years pass. And two hundred and three hundred. and Over four hundred years pass since Abraham. And then God raised up a man, one of them, from the seed of Abraham named Moses in order to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt and bring them over into the land of Canaan that he promised their father Abraham. And through Moses, he gave the law. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then from Moses throughout the history of Israel for hundreds of years, God spoke through the prophets. And in it, given the promise, there's a seed. There's another seed, another descendant coming. And David, he's your son. And one from your loins, King David, will sit on your throne. And they repeat it over and over again. And so about 1,300, 1,400 years after God established His law through Moses in the wilderness, an angel named Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That is the Christmas gift. And no wonder the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament, by the Holy Spirit, said in Hebrews 3, 3 3-6, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now now Moses, he was faithful in all God's house as a servant in order to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ 
is faithful over God's house. Not as a servant, but as a son. Now I want you to turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Because in John 1, the Apostle John picks up that theme. Jesus was more worthy in comparison to what Moses was and what Moses represented. John 1, pick up with verse 14 and read through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him. And he cried out, that is John the Baptist, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks much higher than I. He ranks before Me because He was before Me. And from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is in the bosom of the Father or the Father's side, He has made God known. So first, notice verse 18. No one has ever seen God. So, so John here poses the problem. If you can't see God, we're physical beings and God is not physical, you can't see Him, then how can anyone know Him? He's invisible. So, and let's work through this and see what John is given to us here about Christmas. God is, compared to anything in our experiences, unbelievably patient and purposeful. You see, the Bible that you have there is on a timeline it has a beginning and it has an end. And God reveals Himself at one point and then He reveals Himself more fully at another point, And He continues to unfold Himself. That's how the Bible is laid out. It's not some Eastern, circular, bunch of verses, hodgepodge with little sayings. And so God revealed Himself, as we saw, to the people of Israel through Moses in the law. God said, Moses, tell them, I am sent you. That's who I am. And God said, not, not just Elohim, the word Hebrew for God, but my personal name is, is a play on the to be verb, I am. It, it's however the vowels would go, I like to say, Yahweh. That's who I am. And then God revealed His prescriptive will to the people on how you are to live and to act in giving them the Ten Commandments. 
And he says, this is how you are to build the tabernacle. Do it exactly as I say. And this is how the sacrificial system with the priesthood is to operate. Do what I tell you to do. God on the timeline revealed Himself to the people of Israel. And that's why in Hebrews 3, we just read, Moses comes first. Jesus was faithful to Him who appointed Him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Feel, I want you to feel it. Okay, now, stay there in John 1 now. In the Gospel of John, I think he's saying essentially the same thing in verses 16 and 17. For from His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? I mean, is John trying to say, see, Moses in the law was contrary against grace and truth. Is that John's point? That the law somehow is itself not filled with God's grace and not filled with God's truth. I don't think he means that at all. But what verse 17 is saying essentially is this. Before the reality, or say it this way, before the personification the embodiment of God's grace and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. Before that, a witness to that reality came through the law of Moses. That's what he's saying. And that's why the Hebrew writer says in chapter 3, Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant in order to testify bear witness to the things that were to be spoken later. See, Moses was not anti-grace. The law of God is not anti-grace. But he, Moses, and the law were pointing forward to the very embodiment of grace and truth that was going to eventually come. And that's why Jesus grew up and in his ministry in John 5, he said this to his fellow Jews, and particularly to the Pharisees, If you believed Moses, the first five books, the Torah, if you actually believed Moses, then you would believe me. Why, Jesus? Answer, because he wrote of me. But you do not believe His writings. And if you don't, how in the world will you believe my words? So Jesus is clearly affirming that the law of Moses is in harmony 
with Jesus. Moses testified and wrote about Jesus. Grace and truth personified with us. In John 6 for a minute, uh, verse 32. Remember this? Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God... What is the bread of God, Jesus? For the bread of God is... He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is saying the manna, real bread, real sustenance that, 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 that kept alive Israel supernaturally in the wilderness. Every morning God would supply the manna. There it would be on the ground. He says that was a gracious gift of God, but it was not the true bread. Meaning, not, not, not that it was false or fake, but the point was that that manna in Moses was a picture. That's what he's saying. It was a pointer to the true bread who was to come. The manna was not the reality itself, but a revelation, a pointer to the true reality. A witness to the grace that was to come and to be embodied in a person. It was a foretaste of Christ. See, you see that? So when he says in John 1.17... For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He means that the law itself was not the reality, the embodiment of grace and truth in itself. Only Jesus was that, is that. But the law was a witness to that. Grace and truth. Jesus, when we celebrate Christmas, is the fulfillment of the witness of Moses. That's what He is. Moses is in no way a contradiction to Christ. And so, throughout history, on a timeline, leading up to the birth of the baby Jesus, God who is invisible, you can't see Him. He was revealing Himself in Moses and through the prophets. And all of that was a precursor, a shadow and a pointer to God unveiling Himself personified in the baby Jesus. That's how the writer to Hebrews opens up his sermon. Remember? Long ago, at many times, through the timeline, and in many ways, God spoke 
to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And He goes on to define Him who was and is the exact representation of God's nature. And John says it this way in John 1, that the invisible God became a human being. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, lived, tabernacled with us human beings. Now, now to really, really get the impact of what that line means, of course, you have to go back to verse 1 to really hear the punch. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And that Word, who is God, became a human being. Became flesh. The eternal God took to Himself a complete human nature in the womb of Mary. These are precious words. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The invisible God revealed Himself in the law of Moses and through the prophets. And then that God, God the Son, became human in order to set up tabernacle, house live with, become one of us. Human beings. Which leads to this great reality of Christmas that John gives us. Read verse 14 again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. We have seen His glory. So when you look at your text, you say, Wait, who's, what's the antecedent of His? Who's the His? In the context, it's clearly the Word. The Word became flesh. And we have seen His glory. Which Word? The Word that was in the beginning was with God. And the Word was God and became flesh. In Jesus we see God. We see the glory of God. And that means the Creator of the universe. As I started this sermon, there is a judgment day coming 
we are accountable. We have all sinned and spurned His glory. But that very Creator wants to be seen. He wants to be known in His Son, Jesus Christ. And there is no other way to know Him. As John would write in his letter, if you do not have the Son, you do not have the Father. But God came to live as a genuine human being. To make tent with us so that we can watch Him. We can see Him. And we can adore Him. In verse 18, John says it this way. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that one, has made Him know. You see it? The point here is that although God, who is not physical, He is spirit, and therefore by nature to the physical eye and light waves, etc., is invisible, yet God has revealed Himself in a unique, unique way by the incarnation of Himself in the womb of Mary. John is saying that in Christmas, God has gone beyond Moses He's gone beyond the Ten Commandments and beyond the prophets, beyond everything that He wrote on paper through men before that, which is His very Word. He has gone beyond that. And He has spoken to us very personally in His Son, a human being who dwelt with us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son, actually, He didn't put on a human suit, like on Halloween, and appear to be something He wasn't. He became and forever will be a human being. That one person who eternally dwelt in the Father's side, the exact reduplication of His nature, who never, without beginning, ever has always been adoring and enjoying the Father, will never set aside His divine nature, but He did not take His divine nature in order to dilute human nature. That very person took a full 100% human nature. One person. Two natures. And He did it through the womb 
of Mary. And he grew up and he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus has come to make a way for all of us who are by nature enemies of God. He's made a way for us to draw near and to be adopted by Him into His grace and family forever. So you see Him. So what is God like? What do we see when we see Jesus? Well, look at the text again, John 1, because He's clear. He says, what we see is the glory of God's grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then repeats it in verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the point is clear. The essence of what God reveals about Himself in Jesus, is first truth. God is truth. He is the essence of reality revealed through Jesus. And that's what He wants us to see in Jesus. As Jesus would later say as a man, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And the core of the truth that we are to see, it's right here, is grace. He's full of grace and truth. So how did that grace in Jesus manifest itself? Because that's Christmas. And Christmas begins the journey of God in action through Christ unveiling His grace. And it's summed up this way. I can go to many texts to sum this one up. But it's just in Hebrews 2.17, here's how it's summed up. Therefore, He, the Eternal Son, had to be made like His brothers. It's us. He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He would become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God in order to make 
propitiation for the sins of the people. He just that's God's unveiling of grace in truth that the baby was born so that He justly would put away the punishment that God has toward us. And He did it through the God-man. Christmas is about God the Son becoming a human being in order to bear upon His own humanity the punishment that we all deserve, which is the very wrath of God Himself against Him in our place, in our stead, after He had lived in perfect, sinless obedience to the law of Moses. No wonder John says, grace upon grace. I think he's just saving ink. It was really precious paper back then too. And grace upon grace and upon grace and upon grace. What an indescribable gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that whoever, whichever sinners, will believe in Him, they won't perish under wrath. But they will have Freely, eternal joy, eternal life. That's what Christmas is all about. Charlie Brown. That's it. But that great news is not for everybody in this sense. It's for everybody who will have it. Don't mishear this. But the connection between the Christmas message and us sinners is faith. It's belief. John says it this way in John 1, remember? To those who received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of of God. You, you must, in the hearing of this, reach out with a heart that receives this eternal Christmas gift. Not like an 8 to 12 year old boy on Christmas morning who opens up a gift and then the box and there's clothes in it. And mom says, say thank you to Aunt Betty. Thank you, Aunt Betty. That is not faith. That is not what it is to receive the gift. But it's like that child who opens up that gift on Christmas morning and it is the exact toy he has longed for. Thank you! That's the connection. And so this week, as we go through Christmas week, let's keep this in mind. The grace, truth, and the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ is not mere 
head knowledge. Oh, there's head knowledge. You've got to have the message. But that's not what it's all about. It's not mere head knowledge of the Christmas story. It is an experience of grace. It's seen. And because you see the beauty with a veil unlifted, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, you come let us adore Him. It is the experience of sight, of the all-desirableness of Jesus Christ. The truth that the baby came into this world to live in perfect righteousness before the law of Moses. To see it and say, yes, it's what I want. And that He came in order to be slaughtered on a cross by God Himself in His wrath against the sin of all and only of those who see the glory of that. And thus, they're saved. That is what Christmas is all about. Hebrews 9, 27-28 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, He will appear a second time. And not to deal with sin then, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Sounds like Paul in Galatians 5, doesn't it? There is a second Christmas. There's a second Advent. And so in light of that, we reflect this week on the first advent. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. The Lord. And so as you hold your candles on the side, they will be being lit and then turn to your neighbor and light their candle with your candle until we are all lit. As we will sing these treasured words. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin 
mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight, glory stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. Christ, the Savior, is born. Silent night, holy night, Son of God loves pure light, radiant beams from Thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at Thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at Thy birth.